I was visiting New York with my family and I'm from the suburbs. So it was already like super exotic for me just to be there at all. And we were walking past the Winter Garden Theater where Cats was playing. And there was like that alleyway. Yeah. And outside the alleyway were a bunch of cast members smoking cigarettes um, in full costume. Oh my God, that's so upsetting. It's, a very, it's very ingrained in my memory as being like, I will never understand this city. Well, I feel like the joke's on you because those actually weren't cast members. They were just regular New Yorkers <laughs> dressed like that. <laughs> You're listening to Soundstage, Theatre for Your Ears, a new podcast from Playwrights Horizons. And this week, we're delighted to bring you episode six. It's called Boy Factory. It's written and performed by Milo Kramer and directed by Morgan Green. An especially sweet pairing this week as both Morgan and Milo are alumni of Playwrights Horizons Fellowship Program and they're co-founders of their own theatre company, New Saloon. Milo Kramer is one of the first writers we rushed to commission for this series because, I guess, Selfishly, it's always just awesome to experience the world through his eyes for a bit. He is an extraordinary writer, and I mean that in the literal sense of the word. He's a unique human with an idiosyncratic and always unexpected take on the world, one of total openness and wonder. He brings to all of his plays that miraculous ability that stage actors possess to repeatedly recreate the world, again, fresh, every time, as if for the first time. And with a charming and totally skewed sense of humor, his plays seem to flicker between naivete and frightening wisdom, as his characters navigate their way through a play world full of surprise and intrigue, and always a very real sort of danger. Here's his audio play, Boy Factory, in which he faces a toxic enemy inside himself. When I was... Twelve years old and doing... Homework for the Latin class, I'm retrospectively somewhat embarrassed I even had the option of taking, let alone took, I... stumbled across... in the Google image search... Botticelli's Birth of Venus, and it gave me an... Erection, one of my first. My mom walked in and I closed the window. Even though I was looking at a classic painting, it was immediately clear to both of us my interest wasn't art historical. It was strictly pornographic. I felt shame for maybe the first time. Hi, Mom. Hi, hon. How's homework? Fine. My mom is my favorite person, but we only talk like once every... Uh, Hi, Milo. It's Mom. I'm driving home. I hope the reception's okay for you to hear this message. I gave Lily a ride, and now I'm eagerly halfway to home and thought I'd give you a call. No need to call me back by the time you get this. It could be I'm in um, the bad reception zone. But I'm free to chat or free to chat anytime tomorrow. I can take a little walk from my office. It's going to be a nice day. Uh, if you want to text me, uh, we could plan a call. But we only talk like once every 
two months. She used to shield her children's eyes when actors kissed in movies and got up and stood in front of the TV when actors did more than kiss and forbade me from playing chess online for fear of cyber predators and believes violent and sexual images are unhealthy to consume, believes this with a powerful, full-bodied conviction that renders any objection feeble and embarrassing, an indirect taught me that sex was bad and directly taught me that men were bad, but that I was somehow... Not like other men. She let me try on her nail polish, then when I couldn't get it off, she let me stay home from school to avoid bullies. Thanks, Mom. During recess, I tried to stand up for a girl named Amanda who was being harassed by a boy named James, so excited to be a hero, but Amanda said, no, stop, I never asked you to stand up for me. Furthermore, I want this. I like playing with James. Since then, (coughs) I have witnessed sexual harassment many times and done nothing. Meanwhile, my straight, white, 12-year-old friends, Daniel Cody, Andrew Elwell, Brian Rooney, And I had all already Googled the worst words we could think of on every computer we could get our hands on with disappointingly sanitized results. Turns out there's something called a Google safe search filter, which you need a password to override. My mom's password for a long time was my name, but I didn't know it. Naughty Googling was an especially popular hobby during library hour at middle school, where the risk made it even funner, but the risk was very great, because the 2002 Dell library computers tended to freeze up, and if they froze up while making such a search... The school told your parents! Breaks my heart to think all our teachers and all our families all instinctively knew they had to put on the Google safe search filter to protect their adolescent sons from accessing the often extremely misogynistic content they all correctly assumed we were trying to access. I remember... feeling very confused about women's bodies and hoping Google image search would help me understand. I remember fantasizing wildly about cunnilingus and whispering I want to lick a vagina one night as I fell asleep aged like 14. I only recently, i.e. last week, internalized the distinction between a vagina and a vulva. And then when I finally was in my first sexually healthy relationship, age like 20, my girlfriend never wanted me to go down on her because it made her feel nervous, which I relate to because I always feel anxious and most of all guilty when people go down on me. I remember feeling totally physically incapacitated by a picture of a woman holding a banana on page like 8 of a Google image search for the words... Fun sex and feeling scared and confused by a picture of a woman with breasts the size of painful watermelons on page, like, 30 of a Google image search for the word bazookas, and pointing and laughing with a semicircle of young men at a picture of a woman by a pool with poop coming out of her skyward-facing butt on page 1 of a Google image search for the word 
Fuck, I have been excited by images which simultaneously offend me, and as a result, I no longer trust myself. Eventually, I realized it was more effective to use regular Google search and click through on links than Google image search. It took me years to realize this, in part because I was afraid to leave the familiar comfort of Google, which was, of course, harvesting my every data point, for the wilderness of genuine porn websites, which often asked if I was 18 before entering, but all you had to do was click yes, and they let you in. There was no laser that shot out of the computer scanning your body. It was so easy, I wondered if clicking yes actually did something else, like sent the government all my information or turn my computer's camera on, one website had an ad that said, even if you wipe your browser history, you can never, ever wipe your computer's deep memory, which never, ever forgets every website you've ever visited. And if you don't want to ruin your relationship with your spouse, or parent, or child. You need to download this unique software now, which is the only software that can totally wipe your computer clean and prevent your loved ones from discovering your porn addiction. I was not not tempted by this. Because of growing up with the internet, I have probably watched far more porn than my dad, who is truly sweet. I'm really sorry to hear about the vomiting thing. That sucks. Um, I hope you're sleeping. Um, um, you know, what's important is that you replace fluids lost because there's a real possibility of dehydration, and that's not good. So you need to drink uh, as much water as you can. If you can't drink a bunch of water without filling up, then... You know, take little sips or suck on ice or, you know, popsicle or it'd be good to have like a sports drink or something like that, too, because you need the salt. And the thought of him watching porn makes me want to kill myself. But who knows? He's a stay-at-home dad who runs an Etsy shop, so he probably has lots of opportunities. My second cousin is a year older than me and very femme, and I have always been afraid of feeling attracted to her. Once, as an adolescent, I locked myself in her bathroom and tried on her pink bathing suit bottom, hoping to figure out how well it concealed her vulva in terms of both depth and width of fabric. I knew I wanted to do this for a long time before actually doing it. And then when the opportunity finally presented itself and I was at last locked in her bathroom, clutching the stolen article, I was almost... Too ashamed to execute my plan, I looked down at the flimsy pink bathing suit dangling around my ankles, wondering... If I would ever really pull it up, like doing so would complete the casting of a magic spell. It was Christmas. I took a deep breath. I pulled up the bathing suit. I looked. Stupid. I took it off quickly. I exhaled. I learned nothing. My problem wasn't that I had never worn a bikini. It was that I didn't understand human anatomy and still often have a hard time locating the clitoris despite having been taught many times. 
In high school, I was called homophobic slurs because I wore colors and liked art, but I wasn't attracted to men. I just didn't know how to be heterosexual in a way that wasn't. Violent. The first time I came with a girl, I apologized profusely, which she politely informed me was exhausting for her to have to deal with. I liked that people thought I was gay. It made me feel... Like a hero. Then in college, my roommate was gay, and I was really weird to him. I was jealous I was relegated to the role of oppressor while he got to be the brave queer icon I used to be. His life had been... Much harder than mine. I was afraid to change in front of him. He said, I'm offended you never change in front of me. Please change in front of me, which made me want to change in front of him even less. We made out. <laughs> Three times. Now they're a famous drag queen and we don't talk, but I like their Instagrams. I worry people won't like me anymore. When they realize I'm straight. I worry they'll assume I'm selfish, conservative, mean, clueless, stupid, and boring because that's what I assume about people in the group I'm in. But often, people don't believe I'm straight when I tell them. This happens so often, I wonder if it's true. Maybe other people can see something about me I can't see about myself. When I was 20 and doing my first real exciting unpaid internship at a real exciting unpaying theater, the other intern was the most beautiful boy I'd ever met. We talked for hours about feeling trapped in our personalities and how cool art was. He was more masculine than me, so I didn't realize or willfully ignored what was going on. Or deep down, I knew we were flirting and liked it and lied to myself about knowing it and liking it. One day he said, Wanna see my dorm room? So we went to his dorm room, where we stood very close together, and he said, What do you want to do now? And I said, I like girls. And he said, Nothing, and walked out. Years later, when men ask me out, which they do much more than women do, I often say, I'm in a relationship, even when I'm not, which feels cowardly and condescending, but I do it anyway. I met a painter at a party. She said, want to see my studio? So we went to her studio, where we stood very close together, and she said, my new piece is four printers printing nonsense nonstop for one hour. And I said, sounds hot. And she said, you're gay, right? And I said, I'm extremely attracted to you. And she said, you present as very gay. And I said, sexual orientation and gender identity are independent spectrums. And she said, I feel like people are only interested in my artwork because I'm pretty. And I said, that sucks. I dated a woman who removed her pubic hair, which turned me on but made me feel guilty because it reminded me of porn, and I have lots of friends who are like, fuck patriarchy's bizarre hairlessness fetish. It's so creepy, painful, exhausting, expensive, and infantilizing, so I ended up judging my girlfriend for doing this thing that turned me on. I said, you don't have to do this, and she said, 
I like doing it. It makes me feel good. I'm not doing it for you, and I don't want or have to comfort you about it. I perceive myself as powerless because I make $10 an hour plus tips and owe $20,000 in student debt and haven't gone to the dentist in five years and am lonely, but the aforementioned instances constitute abuses of power. I'm not like other men, just kidding. I'm exactly like them. But Botticelli was the first time I genuinely had, like, crush feelings triggered by an image. So I returned that night after Latin homework, after my parents were in bed, to the family IBM in the living room, tiptoeing in socks, totally exposed, all by myself, no alibi prepared, should I be apprehended, who would be the worst person to catch me? My little sister? My innocent dog? Surprise! The computer was off. We turned the computer off at night, of course. I had to turn it on, which made N-O-I-S-E-S. And then, when it finally turned on, it heartbreak wasn't connected to the internet! This was 2002! I guess my mom or dad usually connected the dial-up modem every morning. I only vaguely understood how it worked. I think it involved unplugging the plug, waiting 12 seconds, then plugging the plug back in, which made even louder N-O-I-S-E-S! <laughs> I thought about giving up. I thought about every girl I had ever had a crush on and apologized to them silently. I thought if my family caught me, I would feel so ashamed and evil. I thought they would send me to rehab. I thought maybe I should go to rehab, so maybe I should let them catch me. I thought they wouldn't love me anymore. I thought I wouldn't deserve their love anymore anyway. The modem connected. The internet worked. I googled Botticelli, my new favorite artist. And there she was. The goddess of love. An ancient and powerful deity. Goddess of pleasure, prosperity, and military victory, sometimes depicted with breasts and an erect penis in a lesser-known androgynous form said to bestow luck, famous for two-timing her husband, the god of metalworking, with her lover, the god of war, daughter of Zeus and mother of Cupid, also rumored to be the great-grandmother of Julius Caesar, here she was, appearing suddenly 2,000 years later on my family computer, painted and pixelated, but naked, but naked, emerging simultaneously through the Google Safe Search filter and the... My formative pornographic experience was 
highbrow, and was also a fucked-up, anatomically hyperbolic European standard of beauty painted by a man. I didn't know how to masturbate yet. I think maybe my body was not ready to masturbate, so I just rubbed my balls and hung out with the goddess for a while. This was not the first time I nursed objectifying thoughts about a woman, but it definitely represents a major milestone in what would become a rich history of me privately entertaining objectifying thoughts about women. Afterwards, I went to bed different, confused, terrified, promising myself I would never do anything like that again. Two years ago, I had the following thought. Donald Trump should kill himself. If he were paying attention, he would want to kill himself. It is his best option. The thought grew and grew. His entire cabinet should kill themselves. How can they resist killing themselves? Men on the Supreme Court should resign if not kill themselves. They are, in fact, duty-bound to kill themselves ASAP. My boss at the restaurant should kill himself, etc. I had a lot of fun thinking these thoughts at first. They felt cool and powerful until I realized I was thinking them every day. All men should kill themselves. If I am successful in any field, I am an oppressor taking up space I shouldn't take up. If I am not successful, I am a fucking loser. There is no way out. My very presence in rooms makes people feel unsafe. That's why I'm never invited to my friend's book club. That's why I'm never able to make women orgasm. My ancestors were rapists and murderers. I hail from a long, proud lineage of rapists and murderers. I cannot share these thoughts with anyone because they would burden the listener. I should kill myself to set an example for other men to follow. Then, the other day, I finally had a new, different thought. It's so obvious, but it's a thought you can't find on the news, you can't find it on television, uh, you can't find it on most classrooms or workplaces or families, you can't find it in sports or action figures or Lego sets or video games or porn, you can't find it in history, you almost cannot find it. You can't find it anywhere. A lot of people hate this thought because it's threatening, but I need it in order to love myself. Men can be nurturing. Men can be sweet. Men can cook meals. Men can raise children. Men can raise children. Men can teach Men school. can teach school. Men can teach school. Men can do laundry. Men can support. Men can support. Men can be supportive. Men can be supportive. Men can be supportive. Men can be pretty. Men can be pretty. Men can be pretty. Men can be pretty. Men can be listeners. Men can be listeners. Men can be listeners. Men can make jewelry. Men can make jewelry. Men can sing songs, but not every song. Men can draw pictures. But not every picture. Men can be men poor. Can be poor. Men can be poor. Men can be poor. Men can be poor. Men can be friends. Men can dance. Men can dance. Men can love dancing. Men can love dancing. Men can love dancing. Men can be peaceful. Men can be peaceful. Men can be team men players. Can be team men can help players. out. Men can help men out. Can be men can be wrong. Men can write men poems. Men can write But poems. not every Men can say men sorry. Men can say but sorry. But not too many sorries. Men can hold themselves accountable. Men can hold themselves accountable. Men can hold themselves accountable. Men can hold themselves men accountable. Men can forgive. Men can be so, 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 so happy. Men can prioritize relationships and other people. Men can value kindness. Men can change. Men can be awesome. Men can practice love. Thanks for listening to this episode of Soundstage. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast fix. 
That's the best way you can help us connect with more adventurous listeners like yourself. This season of Soundstage is made possible by a grant from the Sherman Foundation's Axel G. and Catherine Rosine Fund. Boy Factory was written and performed by Milo Kramer and directed by Morgan Green. The series line producer is Allison Koch. Sound design and editing by Alicia Beitoup. Additional production and consulting services provided by Acoustaguide, recorded at CDM Studios in New York City. The series is produced by Playwrights Horizons, a not-for-profit theater company in New York City. If you like what you heard, you can support the Soundstage program by texting SOUNDSTAGE20 to 44321. Your donation will allow us to commission more artists, complete production on more podcasts, and continue to provide our writers with a much-needed creative outlet during these unprecedented times. To learn more about Playwrights Horizons and how you can support more theatrical adventures like this podcast, visit us online at soundstagepodcast.org. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at soundstageph.